Welcome to the Next Level Brands podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining us here to another Next Level Brands podcast. Our podcast today is brought to you by KitchenToShelf.com. Kitchen to Shelf is the educational arm of Next Level Brands CPG community and a provider of online and in-person courses and workshops for CPG entrepreneurs at all stage of growth. Whether you're an early startup, a local growing business, or a regional powerhouse, KitchenToShelf.com can help you scale your business at retail, on Amazon, or food service. That's Kitchen, the number two shelf.com, what you need to know to grow. Hello, this is Steve Clear. My guest this week is Kelsey Morea. Kelsey is a founder and fearless leader of Dope. That's D-O-U-G-H-P, folks. Don't start down that road. Admission-driven edible and bakeable cookie dough business that ships their products to thousands of households every week. Kelsey started the company four years ago after a decade-long tech career. She's appeared on ABC's Shark Tank and was named a Forbes 30 Under 30. Today, we'll also be talking about how Kelsey is using Dope's platform for social good, working to reduce stigmas surrounding addiction recovery and mental health. Welcome to the show, Kelsey. Thank you for having me. Super excited. Oh, boy. You know, where, where do I start? I'm going to start the most obvious place and get it out of the way. You picked a great name. I mean, <laughs> at you. least you didn't call it crack. So, you know, Second however, <laughs> however, I, I understand from from pe- some people that the, the taste wise, maybe maybe that's what you should have called it. Um, they get started and they can't go on. But clue us in to start with D-O-U-G-H-P. What's the story behind it? How did you come up with it? And how did you get it past, you know, your friends and partners and stuff? Yeah, I mean, and both fronts, right? Like, how did we get to this name? And then how did I get to running a cookie dough business? And um, yes, thank you. The name is super fun. It is quite addictive. So it has a couple of plays on the the word, but originally said to a friend, I want to make a really dope dessert company. And um, she was like, oh my gosh, you know, we just come up with a thousand other cookie dough puns and um, that just stuck. And it really vibed with the type of company I wanted to make and um, selling legit cookie dough, you know, legit cookie dough became our tagline and just ran with it. So it is uh, some delicious stuff, but funny journey to to getting to my cookie dough life. And like several uh, folks I know in now in CPG and food and beverage, you're a tech refugee. So what what were you doing? What did your you know mom and dad think you went to school for? And you know all that. Yeah, yeah, endearing term, refugee. <laughs> um, I found my path now. So yeah, I I started at Intel. Um, so high tech product marketing. And I was 16 years old when I got the opportunity to join Intel. Um, started as an intern. It was supposed to just be a summer internship. And we had a neighbor that worked at Intel came over and, you know, hey, Greg, would your daughter like to work at Intel? And he's like, yes, yeah. yeah, she would. Kelsey, come yes. down the stairs. You know, you're going to work at Intel. So um, from a childhood, you know, from early days of my childhood, I'd always gotten this like, you're going to go to college, you're going to get a great job. And like, that's what you're going to do. We didn't have any entrepreneurs in my family. Um, I had just really great business people on both sides, my mom and my dad. Um, my mom was getting her master's when I was like eight years old. So just always okay. had this idea and, and no concerns that like, oh, the, the woman couldn't be the breadwinner or something. You know, she was often making more than my dad at times of our life. So uh, just really thought like, I want to be like that. I want to kick butt in business and going to go to a great school. And I was 
over the years, just really hard on myself, big perfectionist workaholism to the, to the point, you know, just really, really tough. And, um, when I got this opportunity to go to Intel, great, loved it, was very excited to work in marketing. I'd always kind of been commenting on different commercials and like, I wonder why they're playing it at this time on this channel and like the audience, <laughs> you know, demographics. I'm like 10 years old talking about this. Um, and so I thought it was a great opportunity, but I really ended up using it as a just funnel for all of my intensity and perfectionism. So I, I poured myself into work and at the end of that internship was asked to stay on, you know, if I wanted part-time through the school years and continue from there. So it turned into a 10 year career at Intel. Um, yeah. And over those years, you know, I had started drinking when I was 16 and first time I drank, I drank to, till I blacked out. And um, that theme continued. I had a really hard time over the years ever stopping once I started to drink and really took it as an escape, a quieting of this like really intense mind. Like I was just always pretty high anxiety. Um, I used to have to take tests in different rooms in grade school and high school because I was so anxious, so worked right. up. Yeah. I would work myself into a fit um, and alcohol was like silenced it all, you know? And so I would really lean into that over those years. And in 2015, I had a business trip in Barcelona and business trips were always the worst for me that, you know, I was going to be letting loose away from anybody that knew I had a problem. And with a bunch of people who were also ready to let loose and, you know, have some fun, everybody on these business trips and sales world, marketing world, you know, you're schmoozing customers and clients or you're the client getting schmoozed. So, um, it was a you know tough place for me. And I had one last hurrah, came to the next morning with a whole host of things to apologize for, pick up the pieces from. And um, after years of this and other incidents that, you know, left my parents wondering every weekend, like what was going to happen to Kelsey this weekend and what were we going to hear? Yeah. I just said enough was enough. You know, I just thought I've got so much more to offer the world than this. And I found an English speaking AA meeting that morning in Barcelona and I have not had a drink since. It'll be six years this September. Wow. Congratulations. That's absolutely <laughs> So that's right. the beginning of my like departure Barcelona, from Barcelona is a tough city to stay sober in. So it, you know, I was on day one of a seven day business trip too. And it was the first, you know, first day I said, this is it. So, but you know, there's, that's just one, one challenge. And sure it was at my first week of sobriety, but uh, every month, every year, every day from there is always a constant renewal of like, it's not worth drinking today and gifts like, getting all this sort of newfound energy to go and create what dope is today. You know, those are the things that keep me on this path that remind me that like, this is so much brighter than where I was before. And you still called it dope. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so that sort of challenge, all right. Obviously you were able to get through school. So, I mean that, you know, yeah. uh, a, a challenge certainly in that sense and hang on to um, position at Intel. Um, did you, you were at Intel when um you became sober right mm -hmm. so then does that then allow you to look at the future and go maybe i don't want to spend my life at intel yeah maybe i could do something else and it's a important point to say like everything looked great from the surface you know i did have that great job i got you know straight a's with 21 credits my freshman year of college like it was you know i think i graduated with 3.8 um gpa and all while having a really severe problem with alcohol, you know, but it's, that's alcoholism for you. It comes in so many phases and shapes. And I was a very high functioning person with a problem with alcohol, you know, um, it doesn't always turn out that we're all ending up in a ditch or get a DUI or, you know, the many fates that come from alcohol abuse. And I was fortunate enough to make the decision to stop it before something tragic did happen. You know, I'm 
alone as a, you know, 24 year old, 20, yeah, 24 at the time in Barcelona by myself, you know, in some stranger's apartment at four in the morning. I mean, that could have been the end for me. The, the parties where I'm the one that, you know, blacks out on the bus back from this college party and, you know, I'm at the hospital or I put like passed out on a sidewalk, you know, after a party and some strangers found me and drove me to my dorm in college. Like really just, I could have not been here many times, but somehow those during the somehow. day, I was a great employee. I was a, you know, great student. I was an overachiever and everything. Just, I was also overachieving in how much I was trying to drink. Right. Everything, <laughs> everything to excess. Exactly. Right. So exactly. yeah. So this chance to get sober really gave me um, a look inside like, who is Kelsey? And I remember when I got sober and got back from this trip, I'm like, what do I do? Like, what are my hobbies? Cause all I do is like, you know, hang out with friends at the bar and like, what, yeah. what does someone do on a Saturday morning when they don't have a headache? You know, it was like a re-exploration of all the things I used to love when I was younger. And I really loved to bake as a kid. I got uh, my grandma, my Nana, um, she was 21 years sober when she passed. So there's a whole story there about how excited she was to hear that I wanted to get sober, but she's a great baker. And we spent a lot of time in my childhood baking. So I picked that back up and was just living in the kitchen and slowly, but surely bringing in baked goods into the office and, you know, having people be like, man, you should sell this. Like, this is really good. So I actually started a small bakery while I was still in Oregon at the time um, called monster baby bakery. My nickname as a kid was monster baby for being such a messy eater. And um, yeah, I just had a blast. I created this, you know, micro version of a brand and what it would be like to create something and sell it and watching people's face light up when they saw this, you know, maple bacon layer cake I had made or these little panda cupcakes for a kid's birthday party or, you know, it's just so fun. And and mind you, the economics of this were not great because I'm like, I spent eight hours like laboring over this cake and then what can you charge, you know, $60, $70 for it. Um, And that's even at a premium. So uh, it didn't, it didn't add up on the financial side, but man, I got that first taste of like how fun this was nights and weekends mm-hmm. from Intel to feel like I had something that was mine. And as fast as I wanted to work on it, as much effort as I wanted to put into it, I could watch the results of it growing and like have that ownership versus as many people who have worked in tech will tell you, you have no ownership over the future of what you're working yeah. on. It's yeah. good while it's good, good until someone says it's not. <laughs> right. I was exactly. really, really tired of that. So, did, so did, yeah, did you- um, next jump is getting moved. Oh, sorry. No, I was going to ask you, did, did you apply, I mean, even probably not to the, the, the bakery part of it, but did you apply like, oh, I need a business plan or, oh, I should put together a marketing plan or, oh, I need to figure out what my cost of goods are or didn't that enter into it at that time? I started to do a little bit of number crunching on like, okay, what are the economics of how much this cost me to put in? But because I didn't have any employees and I was doing it myself at the time for the most part, and I enjoyed it, right? It was kind of like getting paid for your hobby. I wasn't really looking at it critically like a business yet and much more like a, this is pretty fun to do. I did get a business license and everything to have a the cottage industry there. You can right, make it right. in your kitchen yeah. at home. Um, so I, I did go through all of those steps to really create it, but I remember, and honestly, you know, <laughs> don't tell if this makes me less legit, but I was moving so fast, even with dope that I never made a business plan. I just went, 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 you know, I was always like, let's freaking do it. It will take me, you know, I could already be there this afternoon. <laughs> rather okay, than sitting okay, around okay, kids, business do not, do not do this at home. This is not, this is a, this is a unique situation with a very special person. This is not recommended that you go out and start your CPG company without (laughs) a business plan. Okay. All right. Okay. Kelsey, go ahead. (laughs) Yes. 
It is good. It is good practice to do that. And I think, you know, I, I've done a lot of just gut check and trusting and making, making steps forward where the mistake wouldn't be as costly. Right. I didn't say, Oh, I'm going to go and open up a $500,000 storefront for my first entry right, into the right. market to see if yeah. people like dope. I built a $500 food cart, you know, a little mobile mini cart made a hundred pounds of cookie dough at a co-packer and went out to Dolores park and sold it, you know? So that was like, that was there step we go. one. This that's was my the, um, you know, yeah. first day of my sabbatical from Intel. I was getting, yeah. So that, it's a, that there's was your, some, that was your farmer's some sort of micro steps you can take to say, yeah, like, does this make sense? Do people like it? Are they willing to pay this price for this product? Do they like the marketing? What's the, what are the questions I'm getting about the product? How am I not maybe describing it clearly enough? Like, you know, I got some of those initial things sussed out in my early days because I was just doing pop-ups, catering. Um, I was doing seven days a week at a food park in San Francisco. So um, very, very scrappy. How about how about the transition from baked good to dough? Because dough is a little tougher to kind of manage and then package and then get out. How did how did you make that decision? Yeah, in some ways easier because it's less about the aesthetics of like, how is this going to look in transport <laughs> versus like a tower of cupcakes that I'm like, oh my God, please don't tip over um, the cookie dough. Like I can chuck it to you across the room and it'll be all right if it's in yeah, a can. No problem. So um, yeah, so I moved down to San Francisco, new job inside of Intel. And they moved me from Oregon down to SF. And so I put the bakery on the side and I was... Um, and just sort of doing it for myself, you know, just still having fun baking and make, taking out to new friends I was making or down to the office still, but not selling anything. I thought there's world-renowned pastry chefs in San Francisco. How will I ever make it doing that? So put it to the side, threw myself back into what I was doing at Intel, a great new opportunity in their diversity and inclusion group. So I got one of my first experiences seeing how philanthropy can really come to life full force inside of a ah, um, for-profit okay. company, Yep, which was a really cool experience. Um, and personally had started venturing into the world of veganism. I was a part-time vegan, as I call it, because I was still eating butter, um, but I wasn't using any eggs in my recipe and I wasn't really eating much meat. I was I was following a vegan diet outside of butter. So all of my baked goods were now butter filled, but without eggs. So cake batters, brownie batters, cookie dough. Okay. Yep. All more than just that kind of one snuck bite. I mean, I would always have maybe a couple even with the eggs, but now without it, I would literally save like a whole bowl of it in the fridge for the week to snack on and I'd bake the rest into cookies. So I loved this idea of being able to do both ways. I was using a vegan egg substitute, but having the butter and I thought this is delicious. And like people love cookie dough. I've been watching the trends on Pinterest of people trying to make like, oh, edible cookie dough for one, you know, it was just barely starting back in early 2017. Um, but all the cookie dough ice yep. creams or cookie dough cheesecakes, it's like, this has been a thing for a long time. Why do you have to eat these little dry nuggets of cookie dough in the ice cream? And why can't we just get a cup of it or have it with friends? Being sober, I was always looking for like new places to go out with friends and, and check out. So new dessert shops that were opening. And it was like, oh my God, if I find another place that's doing the rolled ice cream or a Froyo shop, it's like, there could be something more interesting here. So um, I thought, let's try this. Let's do it. Let's make a cookie dough company. I've got, I mean, my R&D period was like an hour because <laughs> I already had a great cookie dough recipe that I'd been making for many years. I just made it safe to eat and transformed it into a couple different flavors, took them out to Ocean Beach for a tasting with um, my friends and a few strangers we found on the beach and got the thumbs up and said, I'm going to do it. No, no better food focus groups in the world than just people in San Francisco. So yeah, <laughs> sitting that, around. <laughs> Um, yes. it, well, you got, you obviously got good reviews and, or, but that's still not a, 
business. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you decide to to turn it into something a little bit bigger? Yeah. Um, so the first step was like, I sort of imagined because I enjoyed the food park side of things. I just thought, you know, this is going to be a great way, as I mentioned, to test it out, to say like at a low cost way, get people to try it and get that initial feedback. I also knew, you know, having some friends that worked in tech still, um, I thought, well, I might have an in to try and get some introductions for catering, try and do some catering at the Twitters or LinkedIn's or Google's of the world. Um, yeah, and much of which ended up coming kind of word of mouth if people would see it, that it happened at this other company. And then they'd say, oh, we want to have dope at our business thing, uh, office happy hours and whatnot. And I was very happy to be joining a happy hour instead of a booze cart. They were having a cookie dough cart come for the afternoon. So um, yeah, that was kind of that first step of like, let's test it out. And I went full on because I knew it was already just consuming my brain from February till April. April was when my sabbatical was going to be starting. So 10 weeks off paid from Intel. I was originally planning to travel the world. I had this whole backpacking trip plan. Um, Like many people who take a sabbatical, it's like big reset period. I've been working since I was 16. It was like, let's take this break. And instead I was like, let's start a business. So I use that as my my testing ground. And um, I'm still waiting for that sabbatical. It's going to happen one day, but um, took a little detour. And those 10 weeks really proved that this is a viable thing. You know, we, I think I had done maybe 25,000 in sales at the end of the 10 weeks. Um, and so okay. I thought, let's and go did forward. You, did you go going. out to places like buy ride and, you know, stores and stuff? And yeah, through that year, like later into, you know, I was in the initial phases of like, okay, I'm just doing this catering thing, you know, two months in, okay, I got to find employees. Cause I work every event myself. I can't keep booking them. You know, I can't keep working on the business if I'm the only one working in it. So I hired my first employees to help run events. Um, and then we got the opportunity to open up a store on Pier 39 in San Francisco. And that took most of my attention. But once that store got up and running, we started to think about, um, you know, getting into grocery. And it's such a mysterious world that from the outside in, and again, coming from tech to food, I had no experience whatsoever in this, much less in how to get into grocery stores. And so it was like, I couldn't understand why this was so challenging. You know, I'd go, I'd try and meet the manager. I'd bring samples. I'd say like, here it is. Here's what it looks like. And um, it was really hard to get anything to actually move forward because it's like, oh, well, that's going to have to go through like corporate or, oh, the buyer's not here today or, you know, all the stories. Um, And so it just became kind of a difficult point to get through. I did in early 2018, um, you know, or like just shy of a year in business, get into Napa Farms Market in the airport. Um, But without knowing all the right protocols or rules, I ended up getting flagged by um, the, you know, food department, health department for not having the proper labeling. So I had to do a formal recall, like send uh, it into. Oh, a re- oh, good. That was, yeah. That's send it into Associated Press and everything. I was like, I've sold a hundred units. Like it was like nothing, you know? Um, but yeah. I can they, go get every one of them. They make <laughs> you go through the formalities to, to submit that and pull back the case that the client had ordered. Um, you know, I didn't have like the proper contained statement written out the right way. And I had done the best I could from what I knew and researched online. But um, yeah, in that spirit of like, just move fast and break things, I I went out and then had to pull that back a little bit. And we moved into, um, you know, more official packaging from there and got the processed food registration. Um, and just, you know, still until this year, without getting a broker or sales agency to support us, like, I was barking up trees, you know, it was just really challenging to get anything sizable to stick. So had some, you know, good experience with small bits here and there or little markets that were okay ordering direct from us. Epicurean Trader, for example, um, 
and fire pie pizza. We did some food service stuff of them adding it to their menu. Very right. successful. Uh, they still order today. It's been like three years now that they've been selling us with their pizzas. So um, little stuff like that, but these big opportunities to really get into full on grocery chains, just, I don't know what the magic sauce is besides getting a broker or sales agency to support you. There's uh, there's no, there's no magic bullets, but there's, there's steps that you can take yeah. to get there, which I, which I think you're doing. Did, did you, um, on the e-commerce side, when did you start like website, you know, all that stuff to, to reach out to people? Yeah. Well, so I had a website before I even sold a scoop of dough, <laughs> including like, you know, I was so into this world. I loved the, I love marketing. So that was my side was like, get the website ready. I had t-shirts made already. I had like all the proper little signage for our food cart to show off what the flavors were and um, flyers and magnets we were giving out to each, <laughs> each customer on those first days. So I was really into getting all that prepared. So I had the website, you know, pre-sale. And then we were selling on there. There was an e-commerce component. I had built it on Weebly originally. So it was not the best for this, as you know, now, like okay, we're on right, Shopify yeah. today. Um, so it just sort of sat there like a smaller portion of our business. You know, in 2019, for example, we only did $50,000 online mm -hmm. and we did 1.2 million for the company overall. So a very brick and mortar focused, I think um, around a million from the stores and 200,000 from catering that year, right. give or take. Um, and then moving into November of 19, my husband joined the company, very like ops and finance focused. So he took a look at everything we were doing and was like, whoa, like 2020 needs to be the year of focus. We're doing a lot. <laughs> so we had said, you know, year of focus, we just kept repeating it. Like, we're just going to make e-commerce a more sizable channel for us and focus on the storefronts and getting um, our remaining storefront more profitable. We'd actually closed the San Francisco store in September. I'm sorry, August of 2019. And we'd already opened up our Vegas storefront. So we thought, let's just have the Vegas one and get e-commerce to be a bigger channel. And um, then everyone knows what happened in 2020. <laughs> right. Then it's a, that was a fortuitous decision. So yeah, yes, like yeah. you had a crystal ball. We look back and we're like, could you have warned some other people too? That would have been nice since you knew the secret here that this was going to be so important. It really let us get, you know, the Shopify side up and running the, you know, just overall, all those engines moving in the right direction for e-commerce, all the paid ads learning phases starting and like getting right. all those ad accounts kicked off. And by the time things really went wild, you know, in April of 2020, we went from 30 boxes a month in November of 19 to 3000 a week in April of 2020. So the scale was just mind blowing. And we very quickly realized how lopsided this had become where we thought, oh, let's get e-commerce to kind of be up towards what our storefront's doing. And it was like, what is the storefront and who needs it? You know, right. Why really are we, yeah. I don't want to get on and open it up every morning. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that was a tough decision from the human element because we did have a staff supporting us, but we went, you know, and really had to take a hard look at the business numbers there. Those 50,000 in sales from 19 turned into 2.5 million in 2020. Yeah. So uh, it's, I, I've actually had interviewed another entrepreneur who sort of did the same thing that they were, they had a couple of storefronts and then they really loved the storefronts, but yeah. it became a, I, I, I got to do something. And, uh, and, and so they eventually sold them um, to people mm -hmm. who couldn't make it work, you know, just one of those things, but you know, that, that's, okay. yeah. but there is a decision making there when you look at the number of hours and, and the stuff that you've got to put into it. Did, did your totally. numbers, obviously a, a lot of us, you know, work with people or had companies that the numbers spiked crazy during, you know, the beginning of the pandemic. And, but 
what I found is, is that with several of them, the numbers while they've gone down are still way, way higher than they were pre-pandemic. So mm. have you guys done kind of the same thing? Is it, is it you tougher? We have no real pre-pandemic comparison before the spike because, you know, we went from like, it was 19,000 in sales in January. It was 50,000 in February. It was 180 in March. It was 300, right. just, you know. Man. It was just wild. So there's no comparison to say like, what would we have done in a, you know, October, November of 19? Cause we weren't really doing e-commerce then. So at least what I can say is April, the true, like, wow, everyone's locked down for the first time kind of thing. And we saw the willingness to, to buy was pretty high. People were getting their first like stimulus checks shortly thereafter, I think. So it's just a yep. bit of like, how long will this actually happen? And like, hey, I'm kind of stuck at home. I want some comfort food. So that spike was about 20% higher than where it was for the rest of the rest of the year. But, you know, our big focus has turned to retention and like, how can we increase the number of people uh, that we keep getting to come back and, you know, or to spend more on their first run. But our big play is how can we get them to come back to go through what they've purchased quicker um, encouraging use, like we're about to release a digital cookbook. So a um, bunch of new fun recipes of things you can make with the dope, um, like both it. using it raw or baking it, which is really fun. Um, so yeah, just getting creative about like, how do I incentivize people to come back gifting opportunities? We just released a sober birthday box. So something great to send to somebody that's celebrating a sober anniversary, um, which is really fun. So yeah, Father's Day gift box, those types of things. And, and, and what's the website that people can go to? Yeah, it's dope.com, D-O-U-G-H-P, like dough with a P on the end, .com. <laughs> there you go. You can find find that good stuff there. Yeah. Um, so talk about, you were in San Francisco. This is kind of generating now Vegas. Was that move related to growing the business as well? Yeah, once we'd closed the San Francisco storefront, I mean, frankly, it was like, oh my gosh, why would we stay here and pay these <laughs> pay these wild rents for us to live and then have to come out to see everything here? And then even in April, when we had to move to a fulfillment center model and, you know, start to scale up to be able to keep serving this level of business, um, our co-packer was here. So still producing the product was here in Vegas. And then now we've got our fulfillment center here as of September. So, um, yeah, it's a, it made a lot of sense for us to just stick around here. It's favorable for businesses like good tax laws in, in Nevada and everything. And um, we enjoy it. My husband and I live here really love it. Lots of outdoor stuff to do. So there's more to Vegas than the strip. It's hard to believe, but right. that's, <laughs> I have a, a, a good friend who lives in Vegas and we go there and she's, you know, she lives in town, you know, right. Yeah. In, in old town. There's actually. a town. <laughs> there's a town. Yeah. yeah. And there's actually restaurants there too. You don't have to go eat at Paris all the time, mm-hmm. not, but, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, also good. Yeah. Good. Uh, a business climate and uh, mm-hmm. you know, workforce in terms of, you know, labor and stuff, um, yeah. you know, very, very important to have that. Um, behind you. What, um, without getting into stuff that would be proprietary, sort of what's next? What's on the horizon for you guys? Yeah. I mean, so I'm super excited. This summer is our first launch into grocery. So as I mentioned, the traction we finally made thanks to having a um, sales agency that I'm super happy working with. And uh, yeah, we've got Costco on the horizon. So we're in the pitch process to them, but um, moving forward with QVC, we've got a bunch of fun stuff that's going to be coming out for new ways for you to get dope. But um, we'll be getting in UNFI this summer, which is the distributor that services Whole Foods yeah. and lots of natural specialty yeah. grocers. So super, super excited. Um, working on something with Walmart. So we'll see. I got a lot of, a lot of fires going and um, moving things forward. So get, really excited. All going. On the, um, we were talking a, a little bit about, uh, you know, the idea of kind of mental health 
and addiction and whatever within the, um, that, that unfortunately in our industry, I think there's almost a little over-representation of that because of the creativity you have with people. And, and, and then the, on the entrepreneurship side, the strain, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's not easy being an entrepreneur. It's not easy being a solopreneur for sure. Mm-hmm. And then when you move from that to being the head of the company and you have your team, all of a sudden now you're responsible for four more people or five more people you weren't responsible for before, that puts yeah. more pressure on. There's performance pressure. So how, how, how are you handling that from you know personal standpoint, team standpoint? How, how are you addressing that? Yeah, it is such a big topic and it's something we focus on a ton at Dope, not only for inside our company, but trying to support other companies um, on this journey of how to encourage discussions around mental health and be more supportive of those in recovery. So um, on a personal front with mental health, I mean, it has been such a journey with Dope. It's like your emotional status for a long time for me is just like it's tied directly to how the sales are going you know you look at your shopify chart and it's like i could tell you how i was feeling on that day (laughs) um it's very hard to not feel so intimately connected to the success or failures of the business um, because you've created it and someone's saying that they don't want a part of it for example we just went through a lot of pitches with vcs um for a fundraise and it's like oh, it's not better for you or, oh, it's too early or it's too late or whatever it is. And, um, you know, it's just, you start to hear these things and you're like, wait, but what, you don't like me? You know, it's like dating and you feel like you've been, um, been rejected. So it's just, uh, I take it upon myself to try and remind myself of what has really worked and like, you know, what's really gone on and knowing that the right opportunities and the right people will be a part of it when they're supposed to be. So um, just try and keep that mindset, but have my mental health toolbox, if you will, like my recipe card of things. So journaling and uh, meditation, yoga, uh, I, for a while was getting kind of out of the swing. And I realized literally just taking 10 minutes in the morning, you know, sometimes you get worked up that you're like, I don't have an hour to work out. I right. got to jump onto this meeting. I got to do this thing before my meetings start. And so now I'm like just 10 minute workout. And then some days I can get into 20 and some days it's 30. And if I'm feeling wild, I do 45, but I just, it's such a nice kind of moment of calm to just have even 10 minutes of someone else telling me the steps of what to do instead of my mind running. So um, if I can get, you know, any number of those things in my, my toolbox, my recipe to be working, it's healthy for me. Um, Yeah. So that's a big, one of of the, one of the downsides of the e-commerce is that you can, if you're, you know, you're on Amazon, you have a wealth of data you can look at. If you're on brand registry, you've got more than a wealth, Mm -hmm. but you can also look at it in real time. You can look at it twice a day, three times a day. And and actually I work with people who started this thing of like, oh, well, look at what's going, folks, we can't action anything in this period of time. And once a day is probably enough, right? Just just cut it off in the morning, take the report from the next day and don't worry about it. But don't be looking at everything going on every 15 minutes because you're going to be sad. You're going to be jumping up from joy. You're going to be doing all this stuff. Just daily is enough and weekly for actionability. Weekly is certainly enough. I think it's like, if you're going to take action on something, you have to look at trends. And for us, like I try to take like a two week time period of something to see, okay, what was the change from this or not? Um, I do check it, you know, even this morning as an example, I mistakenly pushed an old theme live last night doing some edits on something else and 
ended a ended this portion of this app which pushed an old theme live so this morning happened to see that the conversion rate was down really far and i'm thinking like what the heck's going on so in wow. those moments you're like oh i'm glad i checked because it triggered that something was off yeah. and so i was able to fix it i think moral of my story is finding someone else whose job it is to monitor it this closely like right. an e-commerce manager um one of the the folks we've just hired to help us sort of like a growth strategist on this side and that's my hope is that it's more his daily job to be like, okay, is, is something right. off? Is there a red alert? Oh, yeah. 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 So that I'm not as sucked into the emotions of that, but, um, but yeah, I mean, mental health for the company with dope for hope, we donate a portion of every purchase to a mental health and addiction recovery nonprofit. Um, given my journey and the little I started to share about it in the beginning, I was getting a very loud response um, from Dope's, you know, fan base or whatnot on Instagram. We were very early, like six months into the business, but lots of people wanting to talk about it, you know, and sharing that they were a couple weeks sober and asking for advice or that they're many years sober and hadn't been able to share that. So we formed Dope for Hope to try and make it a little less scary to talk about the hard stuff in life and right. encourage more authenticity in the world. And um, we have the Dope for Hope pledge on our website for customers. We do the donation component for the community. And then, um, as I mentioned, the policies for inside our company, our mental health policy. So mental health care subsidies, if you want a float spa or therapy, you know, we'll help make that happen, whatever it is for our employees to recharge um, and mental health days as well. So I'm working on a certification process for other businesses to become an M Corp, like a certified M Corp. Okay. This is in uh, yeah, kind of early coalition building stages, but there's a lot of excitement around it. It seems like many employers out there want to do something around mental health, but maybe don't know what the steps are. So I'm building this across mental health, addiction recovery and suicide prevention and how that can come to life in a business. Oh, that's great. Absolutely. Well, I, I would yeah. like to, I would like to talk about that in the future yeah. and help, helping you out with that, because I think that's absolutely great and, and awesome. needed, you know, so mm -hmm. you work with that. It's pretty amazing. Um, so folks, remember it's dope, D-O-U-G-H-P, and you can find it obviously at, at dope.com. Um, Kelsey, first of all, I really appreciate taking time to talk with us today. And 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 I want to make sure that we get you back on the show again after maybe like a year from now. Um, the next part of the journey is going to be really, really interesting. Um, but the um, one of the things we try to do for your fellow entrepreneurs out there, whatever, is to have you help kind of nail down a a word or a phrase or, or something you go by or something you learn um, that you want to share with fellow entrepreneurs. And can sure. You, okay. This is actually a word that I was called once, uh, an adjective that I was called at Intel. My boss said, Kelsey, you're indefatigable. And it means like pers to persist tirelessly, um, you know, that nothing can hold you down. And it's funny how true that word had to become an entrepreneurship. So I try to carry that one with me and encourage others to also be indefatigable and just not let anything break you down because it's very hard. Some of the things we talked about today, you know, that it continues to just weigh on you for the successes or the failures. Like it's really, it can be really intense and it's, you just got to figure out, pull your pants back up and keep going. Going, you know, like just go on. Yeah, yeah. I've just found, you know, there's no, there's nothing that can stop dope from world cookie dough domination. There's just new paths forward. It's just yeah. going to take a little more time. Yeah. Yeah. And that, <laughs> might and hurt that a little word, more. <laughs> and that word is great because it sounds like the name of a British battleship, you know. <laughs> right? Love it. It should un be. <laughs> unsinkable, indefatigable. Yeah. Yeah. 
Great. Well, thanks so much. Hey, again, appreciate it. And, um, you know, uh, good luck with the stuff you're going. I know you got some other stuff that's just coming like right around the corner. Um, we're, you know, are one more thing. Let me ask you about, are you missing or maybe not um, the whole idea that we can't have the trade like shows and stuff where we used mm-hmm. to have, like how important is it for you to have the person be able to actually taste you know, I think it maybe would have been a different story in 2017, 2018 before the concept, at least, of edible cookie dough hadn't become more pervasive. And while I think dope has the best taste, I definitely don't have to get someone over the hump of like, what's the concept of how edible cookie dough might be? Right. And we can ship samples. You know, we've got our whole fulfillment thing is on point to be able to send samples out in a moment's notice to a buyer. So it's really, I think the only thing we would gain from those trade shows at this point would just be the additional connections of buyers from you know, more than what our sales agency can coordinate, uh, being able to find us and and build up that demand, you know, build up that pipeline even a little bit further. Cause like the real excitement and the real selling point, like cookie dough is a commodity, but like what dope stands for and what we're trying to do for the world is, is what makes us really different from the competitors and add to that, that you can eat it or bake it. It's not just edible. You know, there's a lot of fun things and we taste great homemade recipe that doesn't lead with sugar. You know, it's, it's not just like cookie dough frosting. It's real cookie dough. Um, But yeah, I think the buyers getting to see our mission and then reaching out to us for samples, like so far is working just fine. You know, we've got all the interest we can possibly handle. If I bring, if I bring as my my husband, one more lead, he's going to be like, we need to slow it down (laughs) because I got to figure out how to fulfill all this. So back back it off. I haven't yet turned. So we're at a good place right now. Yeah. I feel like it'll be nice to go when we get this established, you know, initial standpoint and we're, we're out where we are. Maybe it's, it's worth it next year or something as those start to come back in person. Cause I'd love, I love the idea of putting together, you know, what our section would look like. I mean, you know, it's going to be awesome. We're going to have like a mental health, like raw truth game in the booth or something. So <laughs> we'll do something really fun where it's, it shows off who we are more than just what we sell. I'm sure. Awesome. Okay. Thanks, Kelsey. Yeah. I really appreciate it. <laughs> um, thanks to all the rest of you for joining us on the Next Level Brands podcast today, part of the Next Level Brands CPG community. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, health, and wellness, or even small goods, you should be part of the Next Level Brands community. Education, resources, workshops, founder coaching, and more. Information available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's Next Level with two X's. I'm Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at Next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode. Thank you.